as soon as I open it, roaches. To where when I walk in the house, <laughs> did you scream? Hold. <laughs> Welcome back to Econics Talks, guys. When I pop up, everybody gonna be like, man, overnight success. Lifestyle topics, entrepreneurship, and investing. Are you serious about this? Because if you are, then I'm willing to back the business. We want to inform you, educate you, and empower you so that you can maximize your life. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? I want to give a huge shout out to all the new supporters that have joined us this year. And I can never forget my day one. So shout out to y'all, too. As most of you guys know, running an independent podcast takes a ton of time and energy. Now, if you ever benefited from an episode of this show or many episodes and you'd like to support, you can do that by buying us a coffee. You can reach that by the support link in the show notes or if you're following me or Econics on Instagram, it'll be in the link in the bio. And this will be used to cover any expenses that come with the show. I appreciate everything you guys have done and this has been such a fulfilling year. Now, on to this episode. What's up, everybody? I want you guys to put this event on your calendars. So Friday, January 20th, Cedric Nash is doing a book tour called Ignite Black Wealth. So at this event, he will be talking about his new book called Why Should White Guys Have All the Wealth? So on this interview, we actually get a chance to pick his brain and go through a lot of his, his ups and downs as an entrepreneur and talk about how he built his wealth. So definitely excited to um, share this interview with you guys. And if you can make it out, if you're in the city, come out Friday, January 20th. And now on to this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Econics Talks, guys. Today we have Cedric Nash, the real deal millionaire up in the building. So I'm really happy, excited to have him on. He is the founder of the Black Wealth Summit. He's also the founder and owner of Oakland Consulting. So we're going to get into all of this. Now, my first question for you, Cedric, is we want to start by talking about your story. Tell us your story and how you became a millionaire, any struggles that you encountered along the way. I know it wasn't easy. Well, hey, yo, thank you for having me. First of all, really appreciate it. I mean, I especially I'm excited to be talking to another alpha brother about. Yes, sir. <laughs> so oh six and oh six in the house. But yeah, so my wealth journey started, you know, coming as a kid. I, I had the pleasure of having four millionaire mentors that kind of shaped my mindset. Three of them were African-American. One was white. And I kind of watched them. I watched their moves. I watched the things that they did. And as I uh, came of age, uh, I ran into my to one of them that um, I met when I was in college, my last year in college, and um, heard about him through uh, the dean of students. You know, this guy owned like a little motel. He had a sandwich shop. He had a little grocery store. So they were just doing a lot of community related things. And, you know, they inspired me to want to do the same things. And that one mentor in particular, Mr. Gilbert D. Bruce, um, I lived with them. I could have lived with my frat brother. But I said, man, we would have been up to too many shenanigans. So I'm going to live with Mr. Bruce. for a year. <laughs> So I would watch Mr. Bruce read the Wall Street Journal, listen to news talk radio. He was all in it. He inspired me to read, read, read. And I read a lot of books on personal finance. And so that's what really got me going. I didn't really come from a place of money, so to speak. My parents were middle class. Uh, they did very well uh, with respect to most folks in our community. But it was really about the values that they instilled in me, as well as the mindset that they instilled with me, as along, along with what my mentors instilled with me, that got me going. And when I graduated from college, two days before I graduated, I wrote a plan to become a millionaire. I wrote a plan of the things I wanted to do. And I know this sounds like Drake, but I still got that piece of paper uh, about the pinnacles that I wanted to reach. There you and, go. Yeah. So so um, so I, I got busy you know, doing it. And by the age 32 and after seven years of graduating from college, I can declare that I achieved Destination Millionaire. OK, that's I got some follow up questions. What's one of the first finance books you picked up? I know you said you picked up, did a lot of reading. So yeah. um, what was one of the first ones you got? That's a great question. The first book I bought was How to Be Your Own Stockbroker by Charles Schwab. Okay. Hey, Charles Schwab's a good one. That's that's oh, a, yeah. I've never read that book, but he's a great author. I've read a book. I'm by a him. big fan of him. And not only that, you know, you know, I founded the Black Wealth Summit, in which Charles Schwab is one of our sponsors, which I'm really proud to have. But awesome. but yeah, that was the first book I read because I was very interested in wanting to invest in the stock market, even though I was a college student. 
But one of the things I was doing, even as a college student, I also had a side hustle going on. So I was selling computers. I was putting in computer networks, uh, put one in for a, a doctor and just always make my own money. So by the time I graduated, I have enough money. To, I had enough money to buy my first piece of property right out of college. Well, let's put a pin in that because that's important. We need to talk about that because a lot of college students don't really understand what it what it means to really hustle while you're in college or how to hustle while you're actually getting a degree. Um, so talk about that. So what were some of the side hustles that you did while in school and how did you build them? Yeah. So like I said, I was a computer science major. And so uh, my college had a um, had a model. It's called Learn by Doing. I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. That was a school model, Learn by Doing. And I took that to heart. So all while I was in college, I was writing code, selling programs that I was writing back in the day, uh, you know, analogous to the apps that we have today, you have this thing called shareware where you could write code and often people were giving it for free. Okay. But I, yeah, I was selling mine. So I wrote awesome. a product to help my church. Are you on it. JavaScript, Python? No, this is bad back in the day. This oh, this is way, like, way back like, in the day. Wait, this is like DB3 and Pascal. <laughs> and like, <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. This was back then, right? Uh, so I was writing applications and selling them to churches and various places. In fact, my senior project at my college, it was like a thesis. You had to have a, a, a senior project to graduate. Mm-hmm. So my senior project was to write a software program that would allow um, property managers to manage their property. Mm-hmm. So I even wrote a, a software to manage registration. I was part of the National Society of Black Engineers and Scientists. And I was part of the local chapter. We had a big conference at our school. They all registered and got their badges from the software that I wrote. Wow. And I sold it to another chapter to use it for their conference. Wow. Right? So I was always. And so, like, how did these doors open up for you? Like, did you did you already what are you have these? About, man, I opened those doors, man. I and, but that's what, and that's what we got to talk about. You opened those doors. So, what exactly. was the mentality at that time? Because you were what twenty in your early twenties. So, at that My time, what 20s. were you thinking? The what was your mindset? My mindset was that I enjoyed making money, right? So, you know, was a paper boy as a kid. You know, uh, did a whole bunch of things locally. This is the same thing that I learned from my millionaire mentors. I mean, they were owning businesses, owning banks, uh, buying their own office buildings. Um, you know, one was a, a builder, built houses in my community. So that mentality basically kind of spilled over to me. And when I went to college, I was about that, man. How old were you when you met your other mentor? I know you just, you mentioned him a little bit ago. How old right. were you? So there was, like I said, I talk about 4 million mentors. However, I've had loads of them. These were the initial set, right? I include my parents, not in the four, but they were mentors as well. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Glover was, I would say, um, the mentor that I met right before I went to college. And before that, I met this white guy by the name of Gus Martin, who was an engineer who made $1,000 a day to service the radio station of my uncle AJ's boss. I write about these guys in my book and my uncle AJ's boss was worth, I believe at the time over a hundred million dollars because he inherited oil. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so Gus Martin would come to my hometown because, you know, uh, my uncle AJ and, and uh, John Walton who owned the radio stations were from Texas, but they moved to Carmel, which is a very upscale town in California to start this radio business. And my uncle AJ ran his affairs. He was like his, you know, his, he was like his, his right-hand man. Right. Right. Uh, and so Gus loved hanging out with uncle AJ. And so I would happen to be in uncle AJ's house for the Christian parties that they would have no alcohol, no, you know, they weren't smoking weed. They yeah. were, you know, it was just, but you know, that was just the, the environment that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So I would meet Gus there. And I was just impressed at the time I wanted to be an engineer, was taking drafting classes. You know, Gus looked at some of my my projects and, oh, he just went crazy over them. He made me feel like I was brilliant. You know, that was the first thing, right? We Black people need to understand that we are brilliant and our elders and our parents need to basically instill within us that we are brilliant because that confidence is what we're going to need to basically do brilliant things. You know, that's really where it started with Gus. mm -hmm. Um then uh, Mr. Glover, then Robert Taylor, who I would watch from afar, very quiet, private man, lived very modestly, but extremely successful. And then Mr. Bruce. So that's kind of like where it all started. And when I went to college, I was fired up, you know, fired up to do things. And so they taught me how to write this code. So I'm like, hey, how can I make money out of it? 
Right. You know, and just to speak to that, you know, one of the things about having mentors in your life, because I was one of the fortunate ones to be blessed enough to have that, um, especially growing up in, in church and stuff. I had a lot of older black men come, you know, kind of reach out and give me some game. And I needed that because, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't get that. So, you know, my biggest thing with that is with, with black, with black men, especially, man, it, sometimes we just need somebody to believe in us. A lot of times, man, it ain't even like we don't have the capability. It's the fact that we just need somebody that's done it to just believe in us. Because once somebody that's already done it, believes in you, it's like, it's like a void of, it's that confidence, that, that, that exactly. next level of confidence. So while you went to college, you were already ready because you were already exposed. Exactly. You were already predis- pre- predisposed to that type of thinking. You go off to school. And so, and so, you know what? You got me on a whole tangent, man. So now <laughs> I'm looking at you. You look at your life in, in the sense of you, you were exposed to that at that age. And look at what you were able to accomplish with that information in a time where you could be, be aggressive because you could take a hell of a lot more risk at 22 23 years old than now, you know, exactly. and that, and that's the time you do it. That's why you do it when you're young. So that's, that's commendable. That's definitely commendable. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Yeah. Mentorship is powerful. It is. Yeah, it is. And one of the things I'm a firm believer in it. And I think that when people mentor, I have a chapter in my book titled how to find a millionaire mentor, right? It's a probably chapter nine of my book. And, um, and it's a pretty intense chapter because mentorship is, is, it has everything to do with, the success I've been able to experience and many mm-hmm. others that have gone right. way far beyond I have. So, so it's just so important. But when you mentor, it's important that you are mentoring people from the perspective of their dreams, mm-hmm. not yours, because right. so many times the mentors put limiting thoughts in our ideas and shoot them down because they can't see it. Right. You get what I mean? So yeah. it's important that we're mentoring them. And, you know, the first step is to making them believe they can do anything. And that's exactly what my mentors have done for me. And that's awesome. Question for you. What was one of the biggest hurdles, mental hurdles that you had to get over while that at that age? Because obviously, like, yeah, you made it happen, but it doesn't just work like that. You have to build up, build your mentality up to that. You got to raise your belief system to that. You know, it's, it's you know, I can't really just. Dis- answered in terms of mentor um, hurdles that I had, I can, I, but I can look at one challenge that one opportunity that I did not overcome because okay. of fear and doubt, right? Let's talk about that it. Was, at the same time I started selling computers, there's a billionaire by the name of Michael Dell who was doing the same thing out of college, right? I'm assuming that's Dell. <laughs> so... But what he did is he had the audacity and the boldness to put out an ad. And I think it went to University of Austin at school to start selling computers on campus. Now, I had met these Chinese guys when I worked at an internship up in San Jose. And I met them and, and I found a source to get these PC computers, right? And I could get them for a discount, PC clones. And I sold a few to students on campus, but I was too afraid to invest in that advertisement. To put my name in the school newspaper. And part of my fear and trepidation was that this thing could consume me and I'll never graduate. Hence, Michael Dell never graduated, but he did become a multi, multi, multi billionaire. Right. And so and, and so how do you how do you feel about that? Like, because obviously, like education is so big and we need it. But in today's age, is it necessary? Whoa, I no. love that. It's a great question. Is great, it necessary? And I got the perfect answer. That answer is because a lot of our young boys, and I have young sons that are in their 20s, right? They've all grad. One's my youngest son is graduating in May. Um, and he's congratulations. 20, yeah, yeah. He's 24. He kind of went the crooked route. Yep. The yep. twins went the straight route and they finished, and one's about to finish his MBA in finance at the Ohio State University. But my my theory is that I run into young men all the time because I love talking to young brothers who are really trying to come up. I love to challenge them. It's always interesting to talk and learn from them as well as pour into them. So often the conversation will come up like, should I go to college? Does it make sense? Because a lot of our young brothers, as the numbers are suggesting, are not going to college. They're not finishing and not going. And my response is that going to college is, I think, extremely important. But if you have the genius of a Jay-Z, of a Kanye West, right? Of a Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. of a Bill Gates, right? All of whom did who dropped out of college. 
If you have that thing, then you don't need it. Mm -mm. 99.9% of us don't have that. I could add Michael Delch to that list. 99.9% of us don't have that genius. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. That 99.9%, we need to take our butts to college. Because college has prepared me to present myself, to understand, to analyze things, to, you know, to be better prepared. You know, one of my takes on on the whole college route, obviously I went to school. I don't knock not going. I do understand that everybody's not necessarily, you know, Kanye or Jay. But I do believe that in today's time with technology as advanced as it is, a lot a lot of younger people can and know how to take advantage of the mar- a marketplace and whatever they do, whatever they're drop shipping, I don't whatever they're doing. But with technology being so advanced, they definitely have a leg up. Now, the discipline and all of that other stuff, just is youth. You got to develop that. So my my biggest thing on that, man, when you do go to school and you do graduate, well, if you're in a particular business, a lot of those become your clients if you end up starting a business. So you yeah. have good relationships and you have higher value relationships when you do go to school. And that pays dividends years down the line. And people don't really see that at that age. So not, you, not only their clients, they end up becoming their lifelong friends. No, their employees. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, right. You know, people that can help you scale and pivot your business and run your business. Yep. Yep. Because you went to school with them. So now you have the relationship, you know, they're credible. And typically when people work and have a degree, they actually perform better at work. (laughs) Like it's a fact, like that's people who get degrees. Well, now that the numbers suggest that you make significantly more with the college degree than when you don't have one. So the the numbers are there. So there's no, there's no uh, rationale for not going and completing college. My only thing is, if you have that genius, if you have that thing, if you are the next Kanye, Jay-Z, P. Diddy or whatever, mm-hmm. then by all means, don't. Right? Well, how do you know? How would someone know at that age if That's they had the it? What are some reality. key indicators? You don't know until you made it to their status or not made it to their status. You mm. get what I'm saying? Yeah. You yeah. don't know. Tough. So, you got to have faith, man. You got to faith so, your way through it. <laughs> you you got to take a chance. And a lot of our young brothers think they do have it. But the reality is, is very few really do. Right. You know, and it's, you know what, man, it's not the fact that people don't have it. It's they give up. Like, I can't, I can't make it any simpler than that. They give up on themselves. I That's- wish, I wish I would disagree. I wish I could agree with you. My whole point <laughs> is, is that, see, this is, this is the thing that's really challenging. Mm-hmm. This is why I disagree. Is that Jay-Z, P. Diddy, you know, all of them come from the hoods that we come from. Right, right, they right. That shit look easy. They yeah, they do, but they make it. Are you good? It's you good. It's the free pocket. You good. They make it look easy. They make it look like, hey, you grow up in Bed-Stuy, you start rapping, you start selling music out your car, you create Rockefeller Records. Next thing you know, you become a billionaire. Mm -hmm. Like Jay-Z did it. I can do it. You know, Jay-Z doesn't even have a high school diploma last time I checked. The whole point is, is like people mistaken the fact that they come from our neighborhoods as if these guys aren't geniuses. They right. are geniuses. That's who they are. They're just <laughs> geniuses wrapped in something that we identify with and understand. Yeah. And I'm not I, that I agree with excuse for why they made it and why they didn't. The reality is countless of other brothers, the late DMX, mm-hmm. loads of these brothers, right? Got real close, right? Jermaine Dupree. You know, mm-hmm. you go down the list, right? Uh, Teddy Riley, right? Did very well. Mm-hmm. Extremely well. They didn't do Jay-Z well. They're not Jay-Z. They didn't do P. Diddy well. They're not Michael Jackson. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is, is that it's really, really confusing. Mm-hmm. And so the reality is these guys are straight up geniuses. And the reality is geniuses come in many forms. They just don't come in the color of uh, white and blue eyes and blonde mm-hmm. hair. Right? Correct. Just, you, it, I believe random. that you have to be open to being mentored by other races. You have to be open to that. Wide open. Exactly. And 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 here's the thing, man. People, a lot of people are so short sighted that they they see skin color and they associate. Oh, they they don't have nothing for me. They racist or they this, they that. And instead of just like really taking a step back and saying, well, why are they where they are? Why why do they have this? What is it about them that gives them the ability to perform at this level? Those are the types of questions that should be asked. Dude, the answer now geniuses. I'm telling you, they are. Yeah. And when people don't want to accept that. They don't want, they want to, you know, and some people say, oh, that's just a cop out for not trying. 
No, they are geniuses. Let me just tell you one reason why. Jay-Z runs a billion-dollar operation. Over a billion-dollar operation. P. Diddy runs a billion-dollar operation. Dr. Dre runs a billion-dollar operation. There are dudes that got Harvard MBAs that can't run a billion-dollar operation. I have an MBA from Pepperdine. Yeah. I'm not running a billion-dollar operation. They're selecting the right people. They're making the right moves. They're growing their business. And people say, oh, it's a whole lot easier when you're at that level. But they weren't always at that nah, level. Right. And, they, and that's what I don't like. They discount that part. They exactly. Oh, Jay's a billionaire, but they discount the fact that he sold crack and had to do that stuff just to sell his music. They, they miss all of that. And dodge a lot of bullets. To survive. survive. Right. Exactly. They leave all of that out. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, we could talk about that all day. I, wanted, <laughs> I, wanted to, I got something else for you. All right. So since we're on the topic of college students, what should college students be doing now? So let's say you got college students that want to invest. Obviously, a lot of college students are into Robin Hood, taking their own trades. I'm not against that because I'm a firm believer in education, especially educating yourself. But I also believe in traditional investing as well, because at the end of the day, uh, most people go broke in the market when they trade themselves (laughs) Because, because of lack of knowledge. And so if you have that lack of knowledge, there is a way to trade and not and be risk adverse. But anyway, I'm gonna let you answer that question. So what should college students be doing now? Well, the first thing college students should be doing is reading as much as possible like I did. They should be reading my book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Wealth? And my soon to be book, you know, How to Become a Millionaire Starting from College, right? Uh, Because, you you know, when you read, uh, it basically kind of has a way of internalizing and programming your subconscious so that consciously you start doing things differently, right? Mm-hmm. So reading is really good, although it's becoming more and more of a thing that people don't want to do, but it is a very powerful thing. But they should be reading and they should be developing mentorships and great relationships with people who are doing things positively and that are basically doing great moves. How has uh, reading, sorry to cut you off, how has reading directly impacted your life? Oh, dude, it's like everything that, you know, I happen to have, you know, be a planner. And in my book, part of my book talks about creating what I consider your millionaire money moves master plan. Mm -hmm. And that whole master plan started with me coming out of college. And because right two days before I went out of college, I wrote a plan, right? Where did that planning come from? Well, I was in ROTC. Me too. I I did it in high school. Four years in high school, I was in ROTC. I became an officer. One of the things you learn about the military is every day is planned. Right. Mm-hmm. Every day is planned. There's a training plan for the entire activity of your unit, the whole nine yards. So you get used to planning. So mm-hmm. that military regiment caused me to say, I'm going to write this plan. I'm about to graduate. Things are about to kind of become very vague. You know, after I start my first job, how yeah. am I going to get to this vision of what I want? So right. I started writing this plan. Now, that initial plan is kind of funny because I have everything in there in terms of like, when I wanted to get my master's degree, I thought I wanted a PhD. When I, yeah, I got married out of college, when I wanted to have my first kid, my second kid, when I wanted to buy a BMW, He's on a roll. condo, when I wanted to buy a house, I have laid everything out because yeah. I wanted things to happen in a particular way. I was kind of a nut like that. Yeah. So now nah, you were just intentional. Not nah, don't, don't, yeah. you were intentional about what you <laughs> wanted in your life and you manifested that like that. Yeah. That's powerful. And you did that by reading. People don't get that. You can actually do these things. Yes. It, so what I did it. is that whole concept <laughs> is what I put into the book that's already written the manuscript, but it hasn't been released. How to become a millionaire starting at college, because I said every college kid needs a plan. Mm-hmm. So the first thing they can do is develop a plan for how they want their life to go and in that plan. You know, they could take some pages out of my book about how to plan, plan your earning, how you want your earning to go up, how you want your net worth to go up, how you want your debt to go down. You got student loan debt. Who cares? It's not, a, you know, set it and forget it. Get hey, busy investing. I say that to all it may. Student loan debt ain't going nowhere. It's, it ain't going nowhere. Just just yeah. set it, pay it, yeah. creep it, you know, add it over time. Get busy investing because if you get busy investing, eventually the accumulation of your assets and the income it can produce can annihilate that debt. Stop tripping yep. over it. Don't defer it. Get busy working on it. So the, should, they do, the one thing they really could do is I came out buying my first piece of property, which was a condo. If I was to do it all over again, I would buy a duplex or a threeplex. I would have lived in one unit. I would have lived in, I would have rented out the second bedroom in my apartment. I would have rented out everything except yeah. for my bedroom. Yep. And I would have yeah. taken that money and I would have saved it to get ready to buy my 10 unit. Right. Yeah. And I turned that into a 20 unit. Right. So that's one thing they could do. And 
and also surround themselves around people like me, older cats that have lots of knowledge that's willing to share, you know, but you got to show some hustle and some resolve. They don't like being around losers. They want to be around people who inspire them and remind them of themselves. Right. And and people miss that part. People are like, well, how do I get a millionaire mentor? How do I be mentor? Show up. Exactly. Do the work. It will find you. If yeah. you're doing the work, they're going. It's, it's impossible that they're not. That's just how the world works. One exactly. of my favorite books. But is, pledge, pledge the baddest fraternity in the land, land become an alpha. We got right. loads of pictures as, as fraternity brothers, right? Right. Many, <laughs> many, many, be, many try if you were chosen. <laughs> if you were chosen. And, you know, when I look at that, it's you, you said a key word there about resolve. And resolve is something that for y'all listening, resolve can be developed. It's the same thing as, as like walking if you or running. If you run, you might not be able to run that fast when you first start, but eventually you're going to run faster. It's just how life works. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about finding mentors and doing the actual work, it's a grind. It's a day in, day out thing. But with a little bit of consistency, you're going to you're going to get somewhere. That's how intent yeah. works. So yeah, I learned that I learned a lot about that type of thinking and concept from a book called The Alchemist. And one of my favorite, favorite books, and that's one of the one of the first books I read that really had a huge impact on my life because the kid is literally just in search of his his dream. And oftentimes it might take us left. It might take us right. But with intent, you will get there. Exactly. You will get there. Exactly. Yeah. So question for you, should should somebody pay down debt first or should they invest? (laughs) Great answer. And the answer is both. Both. Okay. Right. I have an article that's coming out titled How to Invest Your Way Out of Debt. Right. My mindset and my thinking is completely different than the Dave Ramseys of the world, the Susie Orman, the Grant Cardone, the Robert Kiyosaki's. Mm-hmm. Right. I put my name in these greats, uh, uh, you know, in the same conversation because I really believe my book is that good. And then my thinking is that good. And so, and I've done it starting from the bottom. Mm-hmm. So I believe you should do both. Uh, I think we as a community get too worked up about paying debt. And then our entire lives end up about increasing our debt, lowering our debt, increasing our debt, lowering our debt for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. So we're at 80 or 90. Yeah, we never, we never start building wealth. So I want people to start building wealth from day one, from that first paycheck. We're always going to be in debt. Millionaires and billionaires are in debt. I got debt. I got good debt. Mm -hmm. All good debt. I got no bad debt. You know, good debt is debt tied to assets that appreciate and generate income. Bad debt is tied to clothes, furniture, trips, eating out, stuff mm-hmm. that holds no value mm-hmm. and and basically don't appreciate. Right. So you they want don't to minimize you. that debt. So if you have that debt, put that debt on a pay down payment, a pay down plan, fight like hell not to increase your bad debt. And it's in the words of John Lewis. You know, get in as much good debt as you can, mm-hmm. because good debt means that you're getting good assets. And that's what makes you rich. That's that's the truth. Good assets make you rich. Good assets make you rich. Yeah. What are some of your investment principles? Well, my investment principles, are it's always about the numbers. You know, first of all, I analyze, I look at the numbers. It's almost like, I don't know if you play chess, but I play chess. My sons haven't beaten me yet. Uh, out of all these years. <laughs> And they get a little close, they get all excited, but they still haven't beat me. It's about chess, not checkers, right? So it's all about strategy. Mm-hmm. And so in order to play a good strategy, you've got to have, um, you have to know the numbers. You have to understand the probabilities. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is that I look at a situation like I play chess. When I put my queen out there, it's like, if you're going to take my queen, I'm going to take your king, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to take my queen, I'm definitely going to take your queen. Right. I'm not going right. to leave her out there vulnerable to be gotten for peace less than valuable, less as valuable than my queen. There you go. So the whole point is, is that when I make an investment, for example, for a piece of property, I always make sure that there's two or three ways I can win. So even if I make a mistake, I win. Right. right. Even if I have a mistake in my numbers or, or economic changes, economic, um, uh, the economic cycle changes on me, I still have value. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way I look at it. It might be a little bit more conservative than others, but I like that. I also don't like to be over leveraged. Mm-hmm. You know, I personally carry no personal debt. I have no business debt. And some people say, wow, if you have more debt, you could do a whole lot of things. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but because I don't have debt, I can still do a whole lot of things. Right? That's also true. <laughs> so, so that that's how I play the game. Um, I'm not a I'm not I'm not a debt guy. I like I like peace, financial peace. And so the whole point is financial peace. I'm willing to be a little less wealthier and have a little less assets to be financially uh, comfortable. Hey, you cash flowing. That's, that's what matters. Exactly. Hey, you cash flowing. That's 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 all that matters. Exactly. So with that, let's say you're doing a real estate deal because I know you're really big into real estate. And people on podcast, they love real estate. So let's talk about real estate. So if you're closing on a real estate deal, what are some data points that you look for to, to, to evaluate that deal and say, all right, this is a good, this is a good play? You know, should I tell you or should I make them buy my book? I'm joking. Uh, you tell them they're going to buy the book. Give, give them book. a little bit. Actually, my book has a supplement called The Millionaire Money Moves Investment Supplemental Guide. And you find out about it when you read my first book. It's on Amazon as well. And it gives you these thresholds. That's why I wrote the book. It's because I had to figure out, you know, I had to figure out the system. That's why I call my millionaire money move system. And I talk about it for stock, for real estate, for entrepreneurship, as well as private equity. But with regards to real estate, the number one thing I look at is cash on cash return, right? And a lot of people, a lot of the sophisticated people say, oh, cash on cash return is one way, but I like internal rate of return. Right. So internal rate of return is trying to capture all the essence of your return. I just like to know if I give up a dollar, how much am I going to get back? Because at the bottom line, that's really what matters. It matters. It does matter. Internal rate of return is kind of a projection. And it's like, will it happen? Will it not happen? It's kind of it's not as concrete. Right. Right. Cap rate. Cap rate is your capitalization rate, which is your annual net operating income over your sales price. So a lot of properties sell at about in this crazy market, they're selling at a three or four percent cap rate, right? In a decent market, they're selling at a five to six percent cap rate. The lower the cap rate, the higher the sales price you paid, right? So I like to buy things at a cap rate, but I like my cap rates to get to eight percent. But I look at that because cap rate is such a beautiful tool because as you increase your rents, you can predict the value that you can sell your properties for. Because if you know they're selling at a five cap, as your rents increase, your net operating income increases, therefore the sales price increases because you're applying a five cap to it, right? And another way of looking at capitalization rate is saying, if I was to buy this piece of property, all cash, completely cash, just write them a check, Mm -hmm. my net operating income would be uh, basically all my rents minus the cost to operate this property. Right, that's what your net operating income would be. Gotcha. So gotcha. if I was to put a million dollars on here, if I'm getting the five cap, I'm guaranteed five percent return after all my expenses. Right. And so if I get an eight percent or seven percent, that's a great deal. There you right? go. That allows you to compare that deal across another deal. If somebody says, I want you to invest in my restaurant or my tech firm, and I'm gonna give you a guaranteed preferred return of X. So that allows you to level the playing field. So you can evaluate one deal versus another. The other is price per door. What's the average price per door that I'm paying? If it's an apartment building, am I paying 100,000 a door, 200,000 a door? Okay, now I can compare that with what are condos selling for in the area that are two bedrooms? So am I basically buying this apartment building and I'm buying a unit cheaper than I would if I was to buy it individually? Well, that's a data point that says, oh, I might be doing pretty good. Or am I buying it for a higher than if I was to buy that separate individual apartment unit? So when you break that down, let's say you have to go through a negotiation and you have to go back to the table. Is that something you would bring up and say, hey, your numbers are off. Like, hey, you're trying to get more money out of me. Like this doesn't add up. I love that. No, what I do is that if I can talk to the owner, I said, hey, or the realtor, I said, hey, you know, this thing is performing at this level cap rate. This is not a good enough return or this cash, cash, cash on cash return. Hey, I'm only able to make 3% or 4% or 5% of my cash. There's too much risk to make 3 to 4%. There's a lot of work I got to do in collecting rents and fixing stuff, right? And I got maintenance charges that I'm, that I'm not anticipating, even though I do go into it conservatively. So this return is not great enough for me to take this risk. So I might just keep my pop money in my pocket. I might go buy a dividend stock, right? right? And get 3 or 4% off of Johnson & Johnson. There you and go. Do nothing. Right. So and this allows you to compare deals. So that's why mm-hmm. knowing the numbers is so important. And I hand, I put it on a platter for them in my book. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, I never found it in a book. 
I had to figure it out. I called my mentors. I called Robert one day. I said, Robert, he owned a lot of properties. Oh my God, lots of properties. He owned land that, uh, up in uh, wine country that he leases out to wineries that grow grapes on it and oh, pay, wow. pay him just to grow grapes on his land, right? So I said, Robert, and he buys properties all the time. He finds these deals and he just buys them. I said, Robert, one time I asked, I said, when do you ever sell your properties? Is when somebody offers me an insane amount for them, mm -hmm. right? Is it because I don't need the money? That was one thing. The other thing I asked him was, if you go into a deal, what kind of return? I mean, a lot of these deals are coming out. You analyze apartment buildings. And for your listeners, they're going to analyze apartment buildings and they're going to find out, wow, these things are they're not, you know, they're, they're, you know, there's no return in this. Like, I might get three, four, four percent. Does this make sense? I had to ask right. them these questions. Right. They're like, hey, if I'm not getting 10 percent, it ain't worth my money. Because on face value, you think apartment complex, 20, 30 units, four units, I'm banking, I'm bankrolling. But it's not always the case. It's priced where and why? Because it's a very popular asset class. Everybody wants it down. See, we as black people now want multiple, 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 multi-family units. Sorry. It's funny. I can't help but laugh at it because, you know, part of our mindset challenge is some of the older cats who weren't like my mentors, you ask them, hey, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, buying some multifamily. Oh, you don't want that. All those people are going to do is tear up your property. All they're going to do is damage your property. You don't, you don't want that. Tell Mr. Bernstein that. Tell Mr. Schwartz that. Don't right. laugh in your face. I was like, I'll take that challenge all day. I'll just get me some drywall mud and clean it up. You know so what? That's the mindset that's kept us out of the game. I want, so I I want to talk about it. that really quick because that was, that was a similar strategy that I used with Airbnb. So when I was 26 years old, I purchased an Airbnb. At the time, I had no idea I could buy a house. I just was trying to invest. And I talked to somebody and they were like, you got enough money. Like you got a decent job. Like you got a good credit score. I was like, oh, I actually can do it. So my initial goal was to buy a home before 30. So I was like, all right, bet. So instead of like putting somebody in it or renting it out, my option was I'm like, all right, like that don't make sense in this area. Doing research, the data point, the data, doing, literally knowing my numbers. So I was like, renting isn't going to give me the best profitability, but Airbnb will. So mm -hmm. I looked at Airbnb numbers and I ran my data and I was like, all right, if I can keep the occupancy rate at 80%, I'm going to cash flow like twice the amount if I rent it. Right. And so when you're talking about like breaking down a deal, like that's how I broke down that deal. My backup plan. So I believe in always having a contingency, especially exactly. with real estate deals. So my, my backup plan for my Airbnb, I was like, all right. If this don't work out, I'm going to throw some college kids up in here. If that don't work out, I'm going to live in it and get some roommates and we're going to figure it out. Exactly. So, and so when you talk about like knowing your numbers and having contingency plans, obviously I'm not operating at that level yet, but like it's the same concept, like breaking down the deal and knowing the numbers. So now when I initially went into, and I, you know, what's crazy. I haven't even said this on the podcast yet because nobody knows Well, most people don't, but I sold my Airbnb last year and, mm -hmm. and I'm going to just be honest with you. A lot of people in my family, I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them to death. But the, the advice was, why are you selling? Don't sell. I'm going to just be real. I'm an investor. Understand mm -hmm. this. I'm an investor. You do not go broke taking profits. Right. And with the market doing what it did last year, I'm a fool if I don't sell with the mm -hmm. amount of appreciation that the property had. That's crazy not to sell. Why wouldn't you? You can go buy another property. It's right. about the mindset that people miss because they yeah. thought that that was the only property that I would ever own because mm -hmm. people, a lot of black folks, they get one and that's it. Yeah. Because that's where the, that's where the limitation, limited mindset. And so, that brings me up to my question about behavior transformation. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that that you advise people to do to kind of help change that mindset and that that limited belief system? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I keep I hate keep saying this, but it's all in my book. But the the whole point is is that we as African Americans have been dealing with untreated, unresolved financial trauma since slavery, and Preach. it's just gone up from generation to generation to generation, and it's. It's infiltrated, it's infiltrated our culture in the form of our music, in the form of the way that we worship and when we worship and how we worship, uh, in the form of what we watch on television, in our social media. It's in our lives. It's almost like a cancer that's basically just won't go away. Agreed. And so, and it shapes our mindset and our value set around money. So I created my wealth building system, which is centered around three things. 
developing a millionaire mindset, which is the offense, Mm -hmm. adopting millionaire values, which is the defense. People don't talk about millionaire values. They talk about mindset. Value set and mindset are completely different. And the third thing is making millionaire money moves. It's it's the how. It's the playbook. Mm. It's what you do. Now, a lot of us read books on the how. Financial literacy, all these people out there doing the how. Problem is, we're not able to find ourselves to be able to do it consistent long enough to have an impact. Why? It's because our mindset and our value set is conflicting what were our actions. Right, right. It's making it harder for us to be consistent because see, building wealth isn't hard. It's just slow. And you have to be consistent. Can you say that again, please? <laughs> say that again, damn it. Because people yeah. think you can just get a million dollars tomorrow. Yeah. Building wealth is that hard. It's just slow. And so, and then it's also full of obstacles that often are a fixation of our mind and are often a real. And so it's navigating our mindset and our the real obstacles, mm-hmm. what the real challenges are. So that's why my book is written in the way that it is. And that's why I talk about it in the way it is, because if you fix your mindset and your value set, becoming a millionaire is just a matter of time. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of time. Yep. Right. Yep. And so that's, that's, that's so, dope, man. I like so that. The key is, you start wondering, well, what's our mindset? Well, I was telling you about that older black person who told you don't buy investment properties. Mm-hmm. So our mindset is our preconceived ideas, beliefs, and practices that are often established by what we were told, not what we were experienced or not what we've learned. And so because of our culture, our mindset has been established in a particular fashion, right? And so that programming has to be reprogrammed. So the process to changing your mindset starts with number one, changing your environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Changing yep. who you hang out with. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you can cut your friends off, but you have to start, you, you have to start balancing your current set of people with this new set of people that have a different mindset. How do you find those people? That's where you find a millionaire mentor, your bankers, your accountants, the whole nine yards. I write about it in my book. So you've got to change that. Even your friends that really are doing it that aren't just talking about it, right? You know the old saying, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You want yeah. to soar with eagles, you can't hang with turkeys. There you go. You know what I mean? So you have to hang around people that are going someplace different. Because when you do that, it changes your conversations. When you change your conversations, you can change your destination. The other piece is you have to change your program. Your programming has to do with the stuff that you enter into your head, the stuff that we watch, you know, love and hip hop, housewives, you know, all these things that are creating this. this I call it I call it ratchet TV. Yeah, Ratchet TV. Right? Ratchet it, yeah. TV. All these things that create this perception of a lifestyle that we could have if we just became that hip hop star. We just, right. you know, right? So that stuff basically kind of keeps us kind of like thinking that we're doing something wrong or that we're, we're learning from the wrong people. Right. And so, and you also have to integrate that programming with CNBC, uh, listen to Kramer and listening to all these different people. Now, initially, you're going to have a difficult time understanding this stuff. But you have to kind of keep at it. You yeah. got to read books and, yeah. and 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 bring in new content that basically changes your mindset or teaches you a different thing. The third thing you have to do is you have to practice what you've learned and practice what you've sent you what you've been inspired to or been mentored by. And over time, you know, you can cement a new mindset based on things that are true and based on uh, based on, on on reality. And so there's the other piece is the value set. The value set is how we treat our dollar, dollars. You know, there's some of us who treat our dollars like a toy, right? You see guys go to the strip club, making it rain on some chicks, yeah. right? Yeah. And they get they get a lot of excitement from that. Yeah, yeah. Because all the other chicks are looking at it saying, oh, wow, he got money. He's going to take yeah. me shopping. Right, right. So that all that whole that whole mess right there, right? If you get pleasure out of that, how the hell are you going to basically have a down payment to go buy that piece of property? Throwing it away. You're just throwing it away. You treat it like a toy. Right. Millionaires treat money like a tool to be and, used to make more money. And I had, so I had to. Like, once you get, once you redevelop how you value your dollars, like, yo, know, I got buddies. I live in Miami part time. I got a yacht. They want to hang out, have a good time. They want to go to some of these places. And like, I'll go with them. I don't spend no money. I don't, I don't throw no money on those strippers. No. I don't do that. I'll pay you don't have to because you operate at a different level. 
the point is it's not a matter of level. I don't find it valuable. I don't get any, I don't get any benefit from it. Right. I don't get, you know, I don't get any pleasure from it. So the whole point is, is it, and plus I don't get no return from it. <laughs> that part. So, so <laughs> you didn't, you, you didn't say you owned a strip club. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's where it comes to valuing your dollars. You're like, well, I can do this or I can do that. What's going to give me the most value? Right. Right. The most return. And so once you start thinking of your dollars in that terms, now you're developing what I call a millionaire value set. And now you're ready to say, I'm going to consistently do the right kinds of things by making millionaire money moves that gets my money to grow. Yep. That's yep. the process. And, and with that being said, that's, that's something that I've had to, to do, even, even in growth, just I'm still continuing to grow through something like that with evaluating my relationship with two things, time mm-hmm. and money. Like mm-hmm. I have, I, like last year was one of the, one of the first, not, not one of the first time, but I have really had to evaluate, well, what am I doing with my time? Because mm-hmm. I found myself searching for it. I'm like, I, I need more time. Where's my time? And it was just like, bro, get up earlier. I'm like, shit, I got to get up earlier. I'm like, well, but you got more time. And then the other piece to that is, is the relationship with money and not being so frivolous with it and just throwing it away. Like, I, 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 I'll just buy this because I got it in my bank account instead of really like, is Starbucks really worth it right now? Because I really exactly. could go fix me a cup downstairs exactly. and call it a day because that's economical and it's, it's a convenient too. And it saves you time. Right. And it saves me time. It, I don't yeah. have to stop anywhere. So yeah, just so it's mindset things, like that. things that, that you'll find. And what happens is, you know, you end up having fun with it because you're like, okay, I got money to do that, but I really don't find it valuable. So yeah, that's how those mindsets start shifting. And that's where our work is as a people. Yeah. That yeah. is where. Talk, okay. So work. now that you said that, that you said the right word, I wanted you to say, boom, last, that, but last thing I want you to talk about is the black wealth gap. I want you to talk, speak to that um, because you were about to go there. So I need you to talk about that and how important that is and how dire it is in our community. Well, the median net worth for African-Americans is $24,100. That's the median. And what that means is if you stretch all 43 million of us uh, along one line and you say, I want to find that middle point of wealth, it would be 24000 So that means that half of us have a net worth above 24100 and half of us have it below. And so why is that significant is that what they're saying is, is that it's declining. The trend is declining. And that is by 2053, when the world's mostly minority, African-Americans will have a net worth of zero. And that's what they're predicting. And they're saying that it would take 228 years for us to narrow or close the racial wealth gap. And so it's significant because it is a measurement of what we are doing as a community. Gotcha. And so I don't, I don't care about how it compares us to what whites are doing. Now, they talk about the racial wealth gap in comparison to the fact that whites are eight times richer than us. They should be. They took advantage of slavery. They have free labor. They had a hell of a head start to the country for free. They should be. Right. The right. problem is not that there's a gap. The problem is, is that. It's widening. And so the government tries to throw things at the problem and they try to make opportunities available. But it's still after 54 years, I'm working on my presentation for my book tour. After 54 years, there's not been much movement. And so I would contend that the reason why there's lack of movement has a lot to do with our own actions, has a lot to do with the residual impact of slavery that it's had on our mindset and the trauma that we've experienced that's making it difficult for us to make millionaire money moves. And I'm so concerned that if we don't get busy doing it soon, the gap is going to be just so, so far Yeah. because the cross count costs of assets continue to grow. Look how much a house was in Tampa 20 years ago. Bro, last yeah, year. What is it going to be 20 2018. years? 2018. Like, right. that's not even 20 years ago. Look at how... Right. But what will it be 20, 10 years from now? Right. So how will our kids get a down payment for it? it Cedric, it's it's happening now because say I'm 31. So a lot of people in, in my age range, they, they've settled down. They just starting to get married. Now they want to do what? Buy a home. What yeah. just happened in the market? 
Now nobody can hardly afford a home, even with two yeah. incomes. Yeah, yeah. Because interest rates just climb like crazy, which pushes up your mortgage. You say that, but now like an average house probably these days are probably close to the 200 to 250, 300,000 range. Just think when the average house price is a million. You get what I'm saying? Because it continues to grow. Yeah. So assets get more expensive. So we as a community, and the reason why I wrote the book and I'm doing the Black Wolf Summit and the whole the whole reason why I'm doing this is that I've been blessed to be in a position that I am. And now I'm trying to make a difference in my community by exposing the challenges that we face and getting us to focus on the things that we can control. Yes, mm -hmm. we do deserve reparations. Yes, the government does need to make the game fair. The reality is no one's coming to save us. Where we are in life financially is not our fault, but it's our responsibility to fix it. And we have the resources to fix it with $1.6 trillion in spending power, right? Spending power that places us within the sixth largest nation in the world. We have the resources to do that if we could revert those, those resources from spending power and a portion of it to investment power. So we have it. We just got to, we've got to, we need tools. And that's why I wrote yep. the book. Book is about how individuals can ignite their own personal wealth journey because we are not going to close the racial wealth gap as a community, as a collective. We're going to do it as individuals. Each individual has to get their net worth over 24,000, uh, $24,100. They have to get their net worth over that. And that's why a little selfish plug I have my Black Wealth Growth Challenge, which starts tonight where I am personally coaching for free. People who draw, who who, uh, who sign up for my challenge, how to grow their wealth. A lot of what happens in our community is that we don't think about wealth. We don't think about our actual net worth. What mm -hmm. we think about is income and lifestyle. Right. I need more income so I can buy more things so that I can have a better lifestyle. That's the extent of our money desires, of, of, of our understanding of money. As opposed to saying, no, I need to grow my net worth mm -hmm. and allow my net worth to produce the income. Right. That way I can ball hard for a lifetime, not just for a season. Right. I can put my money to work. And if I do it long enough and build it up big enough, now I don't have to work. It does all the work. And now even better than that, I can pass that down to my kids. I can't pass my income to my kids. Can't pass my lifestyle down to my kids. <laughs> but I can pass my income. My assets that produce income and appreciate. I could pass that to my kid and teach them how to manage it and grow it. That's mm -hmm. generational wealth. There you go. I love it. I love it. Last thing I want to do before I let you go, I want to shift over to what I call the Econics 10. You cool with that? I'm cool with that. All right. 10 questions. So first question, what would you title this chapter in your life? Oh, I title it the end game. The end game. I like that. I like that. If you know anything about chess, there's the opening, the middle, and the end game. I'm in the end oh, game. Like that. I like that a lot. All right. Number two, what superpower would you have? What superpower would I have? Yep. The superpower I would like to have is to change my community's mindset. The power to change my community's mindset. We'll be rich, boy. I'll tell you. Woo. Yep. <laughs> number three, what would you invest in right now if money wasn't an issue? Oh, what would I invest in right now if money was no issue? It's probably what I'm currently investing in, more commercial real estate and more black entrepreneurship. There you go. All right. Number four, if you weren't doing this, what would your other profession be? Doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer. All right. Number five, five, five guests at your dinner table. They can be dead or alive. Who's at your table? Who's at my table? Yep. Number one, Robert Smith, Alpha Man, richest black man in America, right? Yep. yep. He's number one. Uh, number two would be probably Sir Richard Branson, you know, billionaire from Virgin Records. I just like the way that he thinks. Mm -hmm. uh, number three would probably be uh, Warren Breezy, Warren Buffett. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I like that, Warren Breezy. <laughs> It'd be Warren Buffett. Uh, number four uh, would be Dave Stewart, the second richest black man in America, right? Dave Stewart, the software company. Okay. Uh, how many do I have? Five. We got one more. Five. 
And number five uh, would probably be President Barack Obama. It would be number five. He's at my table, too. He's at my table, too. If I could have a woman, if it was just one woman, it would probably be Oprah Winfrey. Oprah's fire. Oprah's fire. Exactly. If I could have Um, six, I could have the sixth one. There you go. Number six, your celebrity crush. My celebrity crush. Ooh, my God. I have to admit that it's 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 B, Beyonce. Beyonce. Okay. All right. I see you. I see you. That's definitely not a bad choice. All right. Number seven. What's something that the average person would not know about you? Something that, oh, the average person would not know that coming out of high school, I raised 10 chickens. And I sold their eggs to the members of our church and made money as a teenager. Now, when I asked you about your come up earlier, why you didn't tell me? That? <laughs> you didn't tell I had to me save it for now. raising hens, man. I had to save it for now. Hey, hey, you got to show me. Hey, I don't even know how to raise no chicken, man. That's that's, <laughs> hey, that's dope. That's dope. All right, next question: What is your favorite productivity hack? What do you do to get things done? Ooh, I write down a list of the things I've got to get done. And I and I write down those lists constantly. I'm a lister. And I also wake up super early in the morning, 3.30, Oh, often 4, 4.30 in the morning. I got up at 4 this morning. I call it the God hour. Exactly. I call it the it's God you hour. And it's you and God. That's <laughs> it. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. just y'all. All right. Yeah. Next question. Name three most influential people in your life. Three most influential people in my life. I have to say my my dad and my mom, who who died when I was uh, nineteen. Uh, so they were the most influential. Uh, Mr. Glover, one of my mentors, uh, early on mentors. Um, and then I would also have to say Mr. Bruce Gilbert Bruce, my other millionaire mentor that I was that I lived with when I was in college. Okay, I like that. All right, PB and J or grilled cheese? Don't get this one wrong. Oh my God, I have to say both. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got a bonus question for you. Uh-huh. So at this level in your life, and as far as your career, what keeps you up at night? You know, it's not money. I, I, for, for a lot of years when I was, you know, growing my business, yeah, I have like 90, I have, uh, I'm sorry, over 300 employees across two brands, 90 million in revenue, because that's my main tech business. Uh, I used to stay up a lot of nights worrying, trying to keep the business afloat. Uh, and over that time, I made millionaire money moves. I invested in real estate and various things. And I've got myself to the point where my investments can support my lifestyle. I have no debt. Um, I really, I don't, you know, I, I don't really have sleepless nights. I think that I'm at peace and that's my objective. That's my why for wealth. You know, I talk about seven whys for wealth. I want to go through those because those are important. Some people want financial comfort, freedom and independence, legacy, uh, contribution, uh, significance, uh, power and control, and loving connection. You know, mine is really freedom and independence, right? So I feel like I'm at a very peaceful state in my life and I like I'm able to contribute. Contribution is the other one. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to work on my legacy and prepare my sons to take it to my son and my daughter to take it to the next level. And um, I don't have sleepless nights, man. I get excited. If I wake up, I'm not I'm not waking up because of fear or stress like I used to. Yeah, I'm waking up because I'm excited about what I'm doing and I'm able to come on your podcast and talk and hopefully spread the word and create some type of a movement within our community where we make our comeback. There you go. There we go. That is the last question. Hey, LJ, you you Cedric? Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> so what I want you to do now is tell everybody where they can find your book. We didn't talk about the event, but I will plug it at the beginning of the episode when I edit okay. everything up. So um, tell everybody where to find you. Tell everybody how to get your book. You can find me. Books. There you yeah. go. You can find me on, on the internet at cedricnash.com. You could uh, find my me on Instagram uh, at Millionaire Money Moves. Um, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook at Millionaire Money Moves. Um, and you can get my book at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, at Target.com, soon to be at Costco. Uh, so, you know, 
get it. I think it's going to change your life, man. It's a, it's a culmination of all the stuff I've learned and read from my mentors and learned from the work that I've done. And it's the real deal. It's going to take you from zero to millions. Uh, and when I say how to become a millionaire starting from the bottom, you will see that I'm not disappointed that, that there's no game, that this is, this is, this is the truth. That's awesome. I love it. Y'all go check out this interview. Y'all like, share, subscribe. Appreciate you coming on this podcast. Thank you so much for all the gems you dropped. Definitely going to take this home. I actually took notes while we were talking. So I'm like, dang, all right, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. Let me go Google this person. So yes, yeah. thank you guys. And we out, man. Have a good one. Same to you. Thank you. All right.